My guest on today's episode of Africa's State of Mind is literally on the cusp of making history by boldly going where no man or woman has ever gone before and staying there. When I heard her story, I literally felt like I was reading about a movie I'd watched before starring Matt Damon called The Martian, which coincidentally was one of my favorite movies. He basically gets to Mars and somehow is separated from the rest of the unit who make it out, but he's stuck there with all the technology and and all the ecosystem needed and basically starts to make a life on Mars on his own. Compare this to Dr. Adriana Marais, a, theor- a theoretical physicist, head of innovation at SAP Africa and an aspiring extraterrestrial who if, who, if all things go well, will become a Martian officially. The difference with her life and that of Matt Damon's character is one, she won't be on her own. She will be going out there with a handful of other people. In the movie, and uh, number two, in the movie, The Martian, um, there is technology to get him back. In this case, technology doesn't quite yet exist. So people who will be going on this amazing, fantastical adventure will literally have a one-way ticket with almost no chance of return. Three, this is real, no fancy Hollywood set, no director calling cut. So what makes someone be so daring as to embark on the most adventurous um, excursion, if we can call call it that, um, you know, that's probably going to change the way we have, the way we see the universe, the way we function as humans, and just the world in general, in fact, the universe. Please welcome a future Martian, in my opinion, Dr. Adrian Murray. Welcome. Yay. Hi, Lee. <laughs> so, I, you know, I was like, I, I literally, when I found out that I was going to be interviewing you, I really got so excited, you know. I mean, so many, like I was speaking to people every time before I have a guest, I'm like, oh, well, I'm talking to somebody who's thinking about going to Mars. People were like she's she's going to Mars like my one cousin actually said is life so bad on earth that she would just pack up her bags and go <laughs> no so good so good <laughs> so, so let, let's start from the beginning you know um I heard that apparently you always as a child you always wanted to live on another planet yes I wasn't sure that it would be Mars but uh to my um surprise is really not the right word <laughs> yeah. my you know life-changing event moment I'm reading in the newspaper that's there was a call for volunteers to move to Mars with the Mars One project, and I thought, it's happening in my lifetime. I can't believe this. Yeah. So I've volunteered. I've done everything I can to get there, and there's a lot of work to be done, um, but a lot of exciting steps um, along the way, which will hopefully end up with the first um, human society on another planet off of Earth. Which is quite exciting. Now, I imagine that with the Mars One project, you couldn't just be anyone. Like, I couldn't just say, okay, I want to go to Mars, you know? Like, what were some of the criteria to even make it as far as what it is that you've made it, um, you know, if you were going to apply for this? Well, in fact, to apply, you needed to have been over 18 and be able to speak English within a certain amount of time um, during the application. So you're good to go for round two, I'm thinking. Oh, wow. <laughs> there will be another round of applications. Yeah. Um, of course, there would be more. So after that, we did exams online, we did interviews online, we did basic medical checkups with our own doctors. But the idea behind the Mars One project is not to pick a flag uh, on, for example, like the Moon project was, which was a series of one-off landings. This is a society that we want to establish. So while engineers and medics and researchers will be crucial in the beginning, in the end, we really want, uh, you know, people doing podcasts from Mars. So <laughs> there's a space for everybody. <laughs> you're, you're enticing me to come, you know. I'll think about it. Think very hard and long, like 20 years. <laughs> now, now, I was watching your TED Talk um, and you spoke about, you compared um, this um, 
you know, the possibility of you going to Mars with that of your ancestors who were French Huguenot refugees. And I love the analogy that you gave. You know, you almost made it, you know, you made us realize that things first started out crazy. You know, everything is crazy until you actually do it. Can you talk about that analogy so that um, the listeners can find out more about that? Sure. I think I'm lucky enough to to have quite a detailed family history, which goes back to 1688 when these French Huguenots arrived as sort of peasant farmers, basically, to help establish agriculture um, at the Dutch colony. Uh, and this is 1688. So, but I think this is not a unique story. This is certainly not a unique story. Every single human on this planet right now, if you go back a few generations in your family, you will find evidence of some early explorer because let's face it, the planet Earth has become a lot more known mm. in the last few decades because of TripAdvisor, Google Earth, uh, all of these different networks by which we can get information to find out about places where we're not. Mm. So in the past, this was not the case. Letters would travel over you know, months by ship and so on. And before that, there was no global communication whatsoever. So I think we need to remember just how far we've come and embrace that explore, exploratory spirit that we all have in us as humans uh, because just a few hundred years ago, we were staring at the horizon, wondering what was there. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's changed now is that that horizon is a bit further away. Um, it's on a scale of a few hundred million <laughs> kilometers. And we're wondering what's there on planet Mars instead of, you know, what's across the, across the ocean. Yeah. And now also just in terms of, um, you know, this this project, which I first I thought it was crazy, but as I did more research and, and I started to find out more and hearing you even speak about it, I was like, this could actually be just amazing um, for, for, for planet Earth as a whole. From what I understand and from some of the research I did, um, you know, one of the, the things that, y- that would be looked at with some of the scientists like yourself that are going to be going out there is just looking at how it is that, you know, in terms of technology or poverty eradication or, um, or, or, or climate change, like how we can help planet Earth. Can you go into more detail about that? Definitely. So the, the primary motivation for me, I have to admit, um, is one of curiosity and just <laughs> extreme excitement <Yeah. laughs> to, do, to do research on a new planet. And that would embrace, you know, looking for evidence of life, <clears throat> which for me would be the most important scientific discovery ever made. Mm. If we could find some microbe that could survive on a neighbor planet, I think that has huge implications for potential aliens living across the universe, which is really exciting. <laughs> Imagine we're um, the aliens. That would be so funny. Anyway. <laughs> we're amongst them, hopefully. <laughs> um, but but, sec- but uh, sec- not secondly, a parallel and equally important motivation for me is to wake people on Earth up a little bit because sometimes you have to come with an extremely fresh perspective to really get people thinking, thinking big, thinking out of the box, thinking on a broader perspective than they currently do in their day-to-day life. And if we can get to Mars, survive on Mars, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be better than Earth. That's not the idea, to find something better than Earth because we've trashed Earth. No. The idea is to push our boundaries, to get out of our comfort zone, and hopefully come up with innovative technologies that can help us survive on Mars, but that can also, as you said, eradicate poverty on Earth because we live in a rich planet, abundant with resources, and there's really no excuse for the way in which we're using these so inefficiently. On Mars, every molecule of water, every seed, every human indeed will be such a precious resource that it will really define the way we live. And I think we need to return to this kind of thinking on Earth um, where we realize just how, how beautiful a phenomenon life is. We respect living things more and respect our planet more, uh, certainly in comparison to the desert that is Mars. Hopefully that gets people thinking about, you know, protecting this uh, fragile bio biodome in which mm. we live here on Earth. 
I really like that aspect of it. And I take my hat off to you for even, you know, for wanting to be a part of this project. And because I think like, like what you say, it could change the way that we live on planet Earth as well. You know, I'm very sure if people like you go out there. Now, um, we've been talking in a way that we almost assume, well, I've been asking questions in a way that I almost assume everybody knows what the Mars One project is. Maybe if you can backtrack a bit, because I, I mean, I read up so many things. It will take you seven months to get there. You've got... 10 years of training, there's all these different things. So can you um, almost summarize the entire process and the project and the reality TV aspects? I just think it's all like, it's like just one, it's like just one fantastical, it's the only word I can find, kind of adventure. <laughs> sure. So let's start with the, the business model, I guess. And this is the inspiration for the project founded by two Dutch engineer entrepreneurs, uh, but it's a global project, the uh, 100 finalist candidates. We're currently in the, in the round, <clears throat> um, 100 of us. Uh, we're from all over the world, so it's international in that sense. So they had the idea based on the fact that you can generate billions, if not tens of billions of dollars through a media event. So an example of this, if any, uh, anyone listening uh, woke up to watch the Mayweather-McGregor fight, <laughs> I was one of those crazy people at four in the morning in our time zone, at least, to watch the fight. That generated hundreds of millions of dollars in broadcasting revenue just from a single event. Sure. So the idea is that if we film um, the, the round where 100 are down-selected to 40, the 40 are then down-selected to 24, and the 24 then embark on a training program of possibly as much as a decade, that this alone would generate um, enough interest to create the revenue through, through the screening and broadcasting of these, of these episodes of this documentary. Of course, the departure from Earth, uh, if we get there, will surely be the most watched event ever, given Definitely. our, you know, multiple devices nowadays and so on. Um, <clears throat> but uh, so that's the funding aspect of it. But when it comes to the technology, which is obviously important, um, we are not a technology company. So we are currently, as the Mars One Project, the only uh, entity selecting and training crew to get to Mars specifically. So other astronaut programs will, of course, be training to go to the space station and other activities like that. We are focusing purely on Mars, and we're the only entity currently. Mm. But we are then, obviously, uh, our hands are tied as we wait for players like SpaceX, South African-born Elon Musk's company, sure. that uh, is aiming to get the technology ready, to get the transport system ready, basically, to send the first crews to Mars. So we watch excitedly to see that progress. And Elon Musk is, in fact, planning to land as a private company, the very first cargo sent by a private company on the surface of Mars in the next couple of years. So if that goes well, then we're well on track. Uh, So those are the things to watch out for for the technology aspect. And now um, let's also just talk about, you you know, the... the, Okay, so, so, okay, because... So when you go to when you if you make this trip and everything in terms of personal training, how much personal training will they will be required for the I don't know if, if I call you guys Martians or astronauts or I just think you're fantastical. That's going to be my word <laughs> um, for people who are daring and fantastical enough to go on this fantastical um, adventure. What sort of personal training um, would be required? You know, um, I guess the reason why I asked why I asked this question ties in with what I asked before. I would assume that, you know, the first group of people people who are going to be forming this colony or society on Mars would have to be people who have the skills to be able to build this colony and society because you couldn't just, I mean, you wouldn't just send me on the first trip. I would not be there. <laughs> Seriously, if if anybody sent me on the first trip, everybody would be like, please bring her back. 
<laughs> but like, so what sort of training did you, you know, what sort of training would you also need? Like, you know, should you be selected, which I'm very sure you will, um, as one of the people who goes to Mars, what sort of training would, would, would that, um, you know, would be needed? So the hundred of us, there's some impressive individuals amongst us. I'm really proud to be part of the team. <clears throat> um, include, for example, surgeons who are doing training currently to give care for astronauts in zero gravity. So zero gravity surgeons. So this is one individual. Um, there's other individuals who are training as commercial astronauts. Other individuals who are researchers. So these are the kinds of skills we need initially. And I haven't emphasized engineering enough. You know, as you watch The Martian, you understand how important it is to be creative, not just a brilliant engineer, but creative in terms of using spare parts from other from other spare parts yeah. to sort of fix something that may break where we don't have the necessary spare parts available immediately. So these kind of technical-minded people will be essential. But the training itself, um, I think, is largely going to be around the, the team, the teamwork. So you can be a, as brilliant a scientist, engineer, medic, uh, you know, the most brilliant in the world. But if you don't get on well with your team, if you're not a good team player, then mm. this could be to the detriment or result in the failure of the whole mission. So the training will really encompass um, putting the right personalities together, um, training in, you know, how to solve challenges in a specific team. Um, and basically, there's a bunch of unknowns. So you can you can train for whatever scenarios you yeah. think may arise. And for sure, others will arise. So. The most important thing, I think, is having a, a background in problem solving, or at least a love of problem solving. Yeah. And as a theoretical physicist, I think that's that's my would be my contribution. So in theory, uh, as a theoretical physicist, I know how to <laughs> fix anything, but in practice, I do not, which has been clear multiple times when I've tried to fix things. Yeah. So, so my contribution really comes from you know critical thinking, understanding a problem, looking at all the different aspects of how to solve it, and hopefully being a, an empathetic person going along, like anticipating. The mood changes of your team is going to be extremely important. So mm. being, you know, stuck to your computer screen is not going to be enough. You need to, you know, have a very good and, and empathetic relationship with the rest of the crew. So now just in terms of scenarios, um, you know, you said about how you can prepare for anything, but like, of course, anything can happen and it almost always does. So this is just like, I'm just going to give a very basic example. So say, for example, if people go to Mars together and then it's like in the movies and then somebody falls in love and then somebody gets pregnant, what happens? <laughs> I'm just Because if it's seven months, look, if it's seven months to get back, okay, you can't deliver, you, can't, you know what I mean? Like to get, and there's net, let's assume there was technology to get back. It will still be seven months to get the pregnant woman back. So what happens in that scenario? Because this is a very real life issue. Yeah, no, I think um, we've had <laughs> we've had the medical facilities available to prevent pregnancy for a while now, and we will be using all of them at the same time <laughs> because getting pregnant is really <clears throat> going to be a really dangerous and unethical outcome. So yeah. one in one in three women die in childbirth. You're yeah. correct. So giving birth on Mars may not be an option. We might not have the facilities to do a cesarean even, which is you know going back several decades in human history. But this is Mars. Um, <laughs> So we can't bring non-renewables either. So in my mind, it's got to be reversible vasectomies for the men. Yeah, <laughs> that's a personal opinion. <laughs> that's so funny. But I've you know, thought about this indeed. <laughs> you also thought about this because in my mind, I just thought, do they want people to like to have babies there? Maybe no. that's what they want. <laughs> you the poor know? babies. I mean, you can't bring that upon a child until you have at least you know 
a movie theater on your planet, let's say, minimally. Yeah. <laughs> so, now, so now you mentioned about how you can't bring, I think you said renewable substances. So what are you allowed to bring and what sort of technology um, is going to be going with you? Because from what I understand, there's an entire ecosystem, there's cargo that's going, there's all of these things. So what is going ahead of you guys and what are you personally, would you personally be allowed to bring with so as you drew some comparisons with the Martian in the beginning, I think one difference with us would be that we'll have a, a lot of music, not only uh, <laughs> 70s disco. So that's one thing to be happy about. No, we will have an internet connection, so we'll be able to access. First of all, uploading our stuff onto YouTube will be important for our funding model, as I've explained. We'll be documenting everything, mm. and we'll also be able to download stuff, uh, etc. We'll have satellites for that, um, so those will be installed before we even leave. Personally, I wouldn't bring anything if I had access to the internet. I think I would upload all of my photos and stuff, you know, into some hard drives or the cloud somewhere, um, and that would be good enough for me. I wouldn't bring any material possessions with. But then there's several interesting analogies between technology for space and technology for Earth. So the kind of farming systems we'll do on Mars will be certainly indoors because of the harsh conditions outside. So we'll be doing... IOT will be doing, you know, the Internet of Things will have sensors inside the greenhouse, analyzing the exact environmental conditions so that we can get it perfect. Using machine learning, we can learn over time what exact conditions these plants um, enjoy the most to get the most nutrition out of these seeds that we bring from Earth. So what I've just described now is basically just precision farming, smart farming, vertical farming, um, goes by many names. And this is the kind of farming that we're going to have to do increasingly on Earth, given our, especially in Africa, mm. urbanizing population. Um, it's better to be able to produce the food in the urban centers. And this kind of indoor farming really provides a way not to grow corn necessarily, but certainly to grow berries and highly nutritious green leaves and things like that. So that's the agriculture aspect. Um, when we look at the water systems, and uh, being in, in Cape Town currently, I think for anyone yeah. around here, we don't need to be reminded that water is our most precious resource. Mm. And um, the systems that we use to conserve and to recycle and to yeah, basically be as efficient as possible with this resource are going to be extremely important going forward. So never mind desalinating an ocean, we're going to be um, extracting you know, brine, ice crystals out of the sand, heating them up, purifying them, putting the water into the system, recycling as much as possible. Um, this will be our water systems, obviously for the plants and for the humans. Even our oxygen will be extracted from the water. So H2O sure. obviously has hydrogen and oxygen. The oxygen is extracted for breathing. The hydrogen can be used for rocket fuel because we will be beginning to prepare a return trip from, from day one, of course. That will be one of our main endeavors. Um, we're not, as I've said, doing a moon landing where we plant our flag. We're planning to make this sustainable. Uh, things like 3D printing, of course, um, then can hugely are hugely important in terms of sustainability mm. also on earth for more efficient manufacturing processes um, and this is just some of the collection of things that we'll be thinking about in terms of really being a very resource efficient community um, and hopefully some of these technologies uh, will be implemented uh, on earth too solar power sorry most important solar power also everything would be solar powered as increasingly we're seeing we need to do on earth Sure, that's pretty amazing. And now just also, you know, when you said, I mean, because I didn't actually know that one of the main things that you would be doing is from when you guys uh, land will be to prepare, um, you know, for to be able to, to, to create the technology to be able to move to, to travel back. So if there's traveling to and forth, and let's just say 50 years from now, for example, I don't know how long it would take because um, as you can tell, I have no signs, like nothing, zero, zip, <laughs> zero, zero. Um, 
you know, like, I, I guess, in my mind, it might also become a bit of a tourist attraction. And I think you mentioned about how there's some, like, cool tourist kind of aspect in Mars. There's something that's higher than the Grand Canyon or something like that. I was like, oh, that's quite interesting. Uh, definitely. So so there's some proposals to decrease the journey from seven months, as you said correctly, which is currently, <clears throat> and down to 39 days. Wow. So 39 days would be like taking a cruise trip intercontinental, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, with, a, with a buffet and all the nice things no, I'm not sure about that <laughs> we could get to Mars, yes and then um, the tallest volcano in the solar system that's no longer active is on Mars, that's around 24 kilometers high wow. there's a feature that uh, dwarfs the Grand Canyon on Mars as well, so mm-hmm. plenty of features to be seen um, and certainly I, I think maybe maybe tourism would, would come second but certainly first of all we'd be requiring a huge amount of different skills from Earth to come and work on a contract basis to, yeah. to install some of the infrastructure that we need. Um, getting back would be the first step to that. And after that, um, yeah, just uh, having people from Earth who believe they can contribute to making life on Mars more sustainable, more comfortable eventually, um, would be coming over to spend some months or some years there. And how do you feel about the, the 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 possibility, which is probably a reality, that you'll be? I think, if I'm not mistaken, you'll probably be the only African in Mars. Like, isn't that fantastical? <laughs> no, so there's seven Africans out of the hundred, so we're seven percent. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, four South Africans, one Nigerian, one Egyptian. Look, they have to take the Nigerian also seriously, just for it, because it would be great. Because I would just like to see the character come out. But anyway, continue. Yeah, no, we need a distribution of people, so <laughs> as many as possible. Yeah. Um, in round two, we hope Africa gets some more Yay. of the media, because I think our 7% would have been dwarfed if we just heard about it better. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of my mission now, in fact. Um, uh, how, how grateful I am to have been given this platform to talk to you today, to talk to all sorts of different people, not only about getting ourselves to Mars, because um, the ship's not big enough for everyone, and indeed we need some people to hold down home base <laughs> Earth. <laughs> most of us in fact uh, but um, just getting the word out there to get people excited to get people to dream big um, I'm also the director for the Foundation for Space Development in South Africa and one of our endeavours is a, a preliminary journey to, to land the first science mission on, on the moon sent by Africa so uh, many of the BRICS countries have got space programs where they've landed probes on the moon mm-hmm. and here Africa even if I can generalise and call it a whole um, has not uh, yet done this. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the foundation, we're trying to get an African collaboration together called Africa to Moon with the number two to get some science um, research proposals together from high school students, from universities, from mm-hmm. researchers to be part of the first African moon landing. So obviously we wouldn't launch from here yet. But uh, by the way, launching from the equator is uh, the cheapest way to launch wow. things into low Earth orbit or beyond. And as Africa, we've got a, a huge strip of the, of the equator. So this is actually a territorial bonus. Dr. Murray, forward, actually, the Africa equator goes right through Uganda. Egg? The oh, equator well, goes... I've actually stood on the, the, the line. You know where the equator is? There's actually like a... You can go there and stand there. So technically, I think that Uganda should be in good standing. <laughs> where, where you are standing, we need to build a launch pad. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, uh, what are your thoughts around um, Richard Branson and Elon Musk's, uh, Elon Musk's uh, space project? So I think um, the, the moon landings were hugely disappointing. I think neither of us were around when the first crews landed on the moon and all of those kids were listening on the radio and got super inspired and studied engineering. And lo and behold, we have not been back since 1972. 
So this is a crying shame, and I think governments have let us down to some extent here, spending huge amounts of money on defense budgets and no money on exploration. Mm. So where, where this gap exists, private, high net worth individuals have stepped in, and I'm grateful uh, for individuals like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, the richest man on the planet currently, who has a rocket company called Blue Origin. We've got Richard Branson and other you know, high net worth individuals who are able to afford <laughs> to start mm. space companies doing such. And this is done in the spirit of exploration, I think, in the, in the spirit of celebrating humanity and not in the spirit of, of the Cold War, which, let's be honest, yeah. was the motivation for the moon landing. Yeah. So I think it's time to, and I've been using this hashtag, proudly human, nice. to be proud of, of our history of exploration. You know, planet Earth sort of more or less tick <laughs> explored. Planet 2, waiting. Um, Venus is a bit hot, so we're looking <laughs> to Mars as the next planet. <laughs> And uh, we need to keep exploring. This is what it is to be human, to, yeah. to look at the horizon, to dream, and to, you know, realize these dreams through through our technology. Um, we can't always be using our technology to solve dire crises. You know, this is just mm. depressing after a while. We need to embrace that, that curiosity, that excitement, that uh, passion for seeing what's beyond the horizon in all of us. And I think for me, space exploration is what that is. But, of course, every person needs to find their own way of getting out of their comfort zone. Uh, mine is, is getting to Mars. <laughs> sure. And now I'm um, just a, another very important, life-changing, critical, like, you know, I, like the answer to this question, I think, is just going to change, um, you know, humankind and the universe, second to this Mars One project, of course. Are you a Star Trek or Space War fan? <laughs> <laughs> well... I think on on SABC, all we had was Star Trek, so maybe I'm biased because I grew up watching that. But God, I always love Star Trek, even though I watch reruns and the new ones. <laughs> More exploration, less war. That's what I Exactly. <laughs> Dr. Murray, thank you so much, um, you know, just for spending time with us. You know, I think, like I said, like this is probably one of the most fascinating things that I've ever heard anybody speak about quite literally you know and I love the fact that you know you're going out there as an African because this is Africa's state of mind and you know and just like the whole continent is behind you and the other six um, Africans who've been shortlisted for this Mars One project you know we're really looking forward to the great technology and I love the fact that you guys will also have um, Instagram and Twitter if I'm not mistaken apparently you'll be able to to communicate via social media which is quite amazing you know um yeah just how do you prepare for the last few how do you prepare for your your time on on planet earth coming to an end how do you prepare um emotionally psychologically physically how how does one prepare for that i think you've got to live you've got to live in the moment so a lot of people feel terrified when they think you know how do i think about my life knowing that i might leave the planet in 10 years Hmm. but uh, on the on the flip side, I think all of us need to realize that none of our tomorrows are guaranteed. Mm. And what's really important is living today to the full, mm. appreciating the people around you, appreciating the place you live in, appreciating the planet you live on, um, because none of us uh, have our tomorrows guaranteed. Mm. So I think living with pride while we live in the moment is especially important. I think sometimes we've forgotten uh, in the midst of a lot of chaos, uh, to to be proud of where we come from, to be proud of what we're doing, and to be proud of, of the future that we vision, mm. envision for ourselves and all of the people on this planet. So we need to respect others, respect ourselves, you know, live with pride, and get excited about the future. And if, if you're not excited about the future, then change what you're doing, because yeah. we certainly need each and every one of our of our people to be happy, to be excited about the future.
in order to imagine getting closer to this future of which we can all be proud. And now in closing, just touching on that, you spoke about how, um, you know, the morality, you know, that, that you felt that this um, Mars One project could also change the way that we deal with issues um, on a moral level, like morality wise. Could you expand on that just in closing? Yeah, I think for me as a, as a physicist, having studied biology, so that's quantum biology, Life is one of the least understood processes that we've ever come across. You know, the Big Bang explains potentially how the universe emerged, but we don't have a scientific theory of how life emerged. Um, it's, it's a big mystery. A lot of people are working hard towards that, but it's a big mystery. And as a living system, I think, surrounded by birds, insects, plants, animals, we sometimes forget just how miraculous a phenomenon this thing called life is. Mm. So if I could just remind everyone, we don't understand this thing called life. Time is one of the things we don't understand, but certainly those are two of the resources that we do have. We're all alive. We've got time ahead of us, and it's really, really important to, to be grateful for these two resources and to, to live with pride and to live with respect for these uh, mysterious phenomena that we've been granted. Sure. Thank you so much for spending time with us. And the thing that you'll miss the most when you leave? Ah, well, the busyness. I think Mars is going to be pretty quiet, oh, yeah. except for the except for the live streaming that we do. But you'll be able so, to get Netflix, I imagine. Yeah. I <laughs> well, I won't miss the traffic, but I'll certainly miss the the battle, the everyday battle of all of these living systems crowding this planet Earth. Definitely. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Marie, for spending time with us on Africa's State of Mind. Um, a possible future Martian who is dedicating her life to, you know, just to find new things and to, you know, hopefully help change the course of, of mankind and the universe as we know it. She definitely is changing the narrative, not just for South Africa, but for Africa, not just for Africa, but for the rest of the world. So, Dr. Murray, thank you so much. And we'll be watching um, your, we'll be watching the entire process very closely, but we're all behind you 125,000%. Thanks so much, Leah. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Good. Enjoy your day. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Africa State of Mind. I hope that you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as we enjoy putting it together for you. And once again, a big shout out to all of the amazing people um, from around the amazing continent of Africa, uh, you know, who are really doing their part with regards to changing the narrative. Don't forget that you can interact with us um, on our Twitter handle at Africa State Mind. You can also join the Africa State of Mind group on Facebook. And please remember to rate us um, on iTunes. Let us know how it is that you think that we're doing. And if you have any ideas for any guests or people from your particular country uh, within the continent of Africa that are really changing the narrative, please be sure to share it with us. That's all we have for time for today. My name is Lee Kasumba, Africa State of Mind. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now.